Um, good afternoon. Yes. Um, we welcome to the last session of the morning. Um, we are running a little late. It seems as if the the Joburg winter sunshine out there and the coffee um, make it really hard for people to move um, into sessions. We we started somewhat late, and and that delay has kind of extended itself through the morning. Um, so we'll we'll run into into lunch uh, to some extent, um, but I'm sure. Um, I mean, we'll we'll make sure that you do get lunch. So this is a discussion about public uh, radio, um, and given that we're here, the emphasis will inevitably be on the SABC. Um, but we're really glad also to have some input from um, visitors from elsewhere. I'll introduce them properly in a minute. You know. I was thinking this morning about the discussion and I was remembering once again what it was like for me to arrive at the SABC um, as part of the new management team, the then new editorial management team in 1994. And it was a really daunting prospect to, to walk into this building which, you know, for years before had been an utterly hostile place. Um, you know, for the years before say, call it 93, the SABC had been really the enemy in many ways. Um, it was a propaganda arm for apartheid, nothing more, nothing less. Um, and I remember arriving that day in front of this enormous edifice, this huge building that's still there in Auckland Park, and wondering, what the hell are we going to do? You know, it felt utterly daunting. Um, and then, you know, I remember getting shown this corner office on the first floor, um, all dark wood, enormous. It was as big as the entire organization that I'd worked for before. Um, all dark wood, and in the cabinets there was Czechoslovakian crystal, I remember really clearly, these kind of go goblets. And then around the corner there was a tiny little newsroom. Do you remember it, Angie? It's like a little corner. Um, and I remember walking in, and the first person sitting there was Ferial Hafaji, who was a, an intern at the time. And the newsroom had no recorders. So it was a kind of measure of the spending priorities, quite aside from all the ideolo ideological stuff, right? So that was then, and here we are, 20-something years later, and the question really that we have to ask ourselves is, how much have we moved? It feels almost like the possibilities then were easier than they are now. The SABC really matters. I mean, it matters for all the reasons that are familiar to us. I mean, it reaches further into this country than any other combination of, of, of media. Um, the numbers are extraordinary. I mean, we had um, Pearl Sekula from Vuma, um, from Vuka the other, on yesterday morning, you know, taking on this behemoth, which is Ukozi, this enormous radio station. So the numbers are extraordinary. There's the issue of language, you know, it speaks to people in their own languages. And I think, you know, for conferences of this kind, I mean, one of the things that we really need to continue to think about is how radio and language on this continent work together. Um, I've seen the numbers and I've forgotten them, but I think Africa has more languages than the rest of the world combined. Um, mm. So language really matters, and I think in this country it really matters. Um, and then, of course, the SABC should contribute to the, to the national discourse, the national discussion in a way um, that nobody else is able to. And yet, we have undoubtedly a mess. 
right? And I don't want us to spend the minute, the time that we have here going over familiar ground. I mean, we've been there, we know the problems. Um, one of the really interesting questions, though, is why, actually, and maybe we can get on to that, because it does help us take us forward. So we know, we know the problems to, some, to a large extent. It's a real tragedy, I think, because it it's a wasted opportunity. It's a, wasted, it's a waste of money that's been poured into this, into this enormous organization for so many years. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that public broadcasting across the world faces real challenges. Um, you know, many other countries look at the SABC and say, you know, wow, I mean, that's kind of real independent broadcasting. It's fantastic. By comparison, perhaps that's so. And of course, in some parts, many parts of the world, money is a real issue. One of the things that um, uh, Donald Trump has put on the agenda in the US is funding for, for public broadcasting. We know he'd rather build the walls than communicate. So, Let's run this discussion, right? We've got a big, we've got a sort of sizable panel. We've got, um, on my immediate left is Graham Dixon from uh, the European Broadcasting Union. Um, next to him is Kate Skinner, who was with SOS Public Broadcasting for, for several years. Um, next to her um, is from the Ghanaian Public Broadcaster, Nana Esipari. I hope I pronounced that more or less right. Um, next to her is Soli Petwe from Channel Africa. Um, part of, I think we can still say part of uh, the SABC, and then at the end is Angie Caplianis. The person, of course, that is not here is Suna Fenter, and we started yesterday off by remembering her particularly, and of course, I need to mention that again, you know, she's on our program. It happened, you know, within the last week or ten days that she passed away, really suddenly and, and, and unexpectedly um, after a long period of, of, of stress. Um, which to some extent, to a large extent, I think was, brought, was due to what was going on at the SABC. So we really, I think what we need to do is we need to have her here in spirit. Um, the spirit of somebody within the organization who stood up and said, actually, not in my name. Actually, this is not cool. Um, and was prepared, you know, to really risk a great deal as a result. So, let's turn to the subject, right? And let me just ask all of you quite quickly, and as I say, let's move this along quite quickly. What do we expect from a public broadcast? And let me start um, with Graham here right next to me. I think we expect that a public broadcaster is public, and that means that it actually belongs to the listeners. And uh, sometimes the models for funding um, actually really show that. When you've got a license fee, there's a sense that the listeners are, um, are actually contributing and actually in return they're getting the programming. And then about transparency as well, I would say that editorial guidelines, the way decisions are made, all of that should be made public. So there's a real sense that the public is owning the broadcaster mm -hmm and that um, the, the broadcaster is serving the public and that it's behaving in a transparent way. Um, in Ghana, what does the public expect of the broadcaster? I mean, you spoke earlier on about addressing people as citizens. Can you say something about that? Yes. Just press the... There we go. Is it 
that um, the public broadcaster will address everybody who, who is in the country. And as I was saying, it is said that the politicians always see human beings in the country as voters. So they tell them what they want to hear, so they vote for them when it comes to elections. The business people see them as consumers. So they tell them things that will convince them to buy their produce so that they will then make money and the people will think that they're having a good life. But the public broadcaster sees them as citizens, so has to give them information that will help them move forward developmentally, socially, culturally, politically, and everything, so they can make informed decisions. Okay. So. Mm. I mean, Kate, I don't know whether you want to add something to that, and you may, but otherwise, you know, Graham said we own the public broadcaster. Say how that should work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an incredibly important question because the issue is that it's about citizens in conversation with each other and with, with people in power. Um, and I think one of the major failings has been that it hasn't been accountable. So, I mean, some of the, the, the suggestions that civil society have put forward is that, for instance, that you should have audience committees. And I mean, at one point, I think the SBC actually did have, in terms of its religious panels, you know, um, so you, those kind of audience committees. Also, I mean, what's in, been interesting is people have said, you know, in terms of the board, the board should actually have a public editor. And if people have got issues around, you know, what's happening editorially, they should be able to go to that person. That person should actually constantly be ensuring that the SBC is more accountable. And then, of course, there's all the issues around social media, you know, which could play an incredibly important role in terms of these kinds of actual structures that are set up. Because I think, you know, we actually need to set up something fairly concrete in order for it to happen. You talk about a public editor, but surely, I mean, the SABC has had a complaints office for years and years. Does it really make that much of a difference, Angie? Um, does it make a difference? So we're governed by the BCCSA, the Code of Conduct of the Broadcasting Commission. Um, Every single listener has the opportunity to complain. They have the right to complain. We have the obligation to respond, even if it's a petty complaint. Um, but sometimes the complaints are trivial, and they're not really about the big things that matter, when people should be speaking up, when they should be noticing, mm. when they should be saying something. So I, I fully agree the mm. public broadcaster belongs to the public. It is the property of the public, mm. um, not the politician, not the stakeholder, not business. Um, I want to share two analogies with you. I see it is as the public good, the mm. defining overarching one that belongs to the public, not driven by profits, to the benefit and mm. well-being of every single person in society beyond mm. citizen, because I think we need to include those who live here too, that are not mm. necessarily citizens. And then I see it as the public square, a free and open space, where everyone has the right to stand up, to speak, to chat, to play, to laugh, to cry, to breathe, where we can all thrive and flourish. And then taking it directly to the newsroom, my dream is that the newsroom of a public broadcaster is ring-fenced in shatterproof glass, mm. that it is transparent for everyone to see, but at the same time, it, it is fit for purpose, it is trusted, it is protected and defended to do the right thing. 
It's been a really tough, let me stay with you for a moment, mm. it's been a really tough time, I think, for people working at the SABC. Some, say something about that. It's been going on for a long time. It didn't start last year this time when I told you it was tumultuous. Um, for me, it's been creeping in. I think the golden age, the golden decade of public broadcasting was the 90s. Mm. Um, true public broadcasting. And I think slowly from the, 19, uh, the late 1990s, 2000s, there was a, an encroachment and intrusion by the politicians. Um, I don't, I haven't heard this recently, and maybe it's kind of disappeared off, it's not on my radar anymore, but we all heard about CADA deployment. The party loyalists were identified, key centers of power were identified, and these key people were moved, sorry, were moved in, not in the name of freedom, I think in the name of control. And it started under Thabo Mbeki's government for me. And we can ask ourselves when we look back, how many people said anything? How many people stood up and spoke out? Not many. At the SABC 2006, I think it's about 11 years ago, we've forgotten that we had the blacklisting saga or scandal where certain journalists, commentators, authors, academics were banned from the airwaves. And certain people have been moved in there and took it upon themselves to say that these commentators, analysts were critical of Mbeki. It's almost at the same time because it was before the Polokwane elective conference and we know we're going to another elective conference now. For me that's when the intrusion and the encroachment started. So the last year has been really really hard, it's been um, difficult to work there, it's been hard to keep that big ship floating um, but we have done that. We have people that we work with that really shouldn't be there, that were put in place. They are deeply embedded. And if you remove the head, you haven't removed the tentacles yet. Okay, I want to pick up on two points there, Sally. If you, um, I mean, you've been there for several years. Uh, Angie describes a process of cadre deployment where you know, people were moved politically into positions. Why was it that the SABC did not resist that process? Or, I mean, if you experience it differently, by all means, you yeah. know, talk to us about your... Listen, you know, the, 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 the challenge with the SABC is that uh, you, you can, uh, as, as government, there was uh, a good broadcasting act. It's like uh, policies in this country. You've got good policies, but there is no political will to implement those policies. Now... When uh, the SABC started just post-1994, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, we saw good intentions to have an independent, responsible um, broadcaster. However, then we also have this um, interest from political uh, politicians, actually. And, and the problem is because of uh, this... Uh, attachment or lack of independence from political influence, then the SABC I mean, hasn't changed. But the other thing that you shouldn't forget, sometimes we, we tend to focus on uh, what is happening in the newsroom in terms of uh, the transformation of the public broadcaster, particularly with us. That has just, we have just moved from the apartheid era into democracy. But the core of, uh, of, 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 of 
of propaganda machinery was not only in the newsroom. The resistance to change from uh, what we used to be to what we are supposed to be. You know, what we, 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 we tend to, to talk about the newsroom only. Yes, the newsroom, I mean, is the core business of, uh, of, of the SABC. However, if at all we still left certain individual very influential in certain positions. For instance, I mean, if you take the leadership of the SABC immediately after 1994, and then you bring in, uh, you put in black people there, yes, they might have been correct people. But to me, that is more window dressing. The engine, which is now mainly management, was never touched. It was never touched. And now what we are doing, you are actually having this window dressing that is having its hands full with dealing with policies. But the actual implementation of the policies then became a problem. And we are still having that. And NGP is spot on. When politician realizes that now we can use the broadcaster exactly the same way as where they used to have it during the apartheid period. Mm. Then they deployed certain individuals. People were deployed there not based on ed educational qualification. No. But then the problem is uh, it's easy for the SABC unlike working for the government department. You work for the SABC today you cross the line tomorrow you are in the street. Um, okay, now before we kind of look forward a little bit, I want to draw on two issues that are actually common to what the situation the SABC is facing, which occurs elsewhere as well. And the one is money. I mean, in Europe, um, public broadcasters are also under um, financial pressures. They don't take exactly the same form. But Graham, can you say something about how that is unfolding among European broadcasters? Yes, there are a number of broadcasters under quite extreme financial pressure. And I think sometimes, as you've talked about, the relationship with government and broadcaster in most countries is not that straightforward because actually it's about preserving that sense of independence and that's clearly going to lead um, to, to tensions and therefore as you've just alluded to um, Trump in the US is not that keen on national public radio to say the very least um, because that's always maintained a very independent um, view. So there are various ways of putting um, pressure on broadcasters and that is happening um, to different degrees in different countries and thankfully in some countries it's not happening very much. There are, I mean, it's interesting looking at the different models though because one of the things we do as the European Broadcasting Union is help our members both um, with legal support and strategic support um, to define their role in society and we're having some really interesting cases now where we're thankfully and optimistically seeing the reverse situation not necessarily that they have lots of money but actually that broadcasters some broadcasters are transitioning from more of a state media 
um, position to actually a public service media um, position. Albania and the Ukraine are two examples. So it's quite good to see this perhaps as a spectrum that actually can move with societal changes rather than a sort of inevitable and um, you know pessimistic ride towards um, towards a sort of government-controlled situation. So um, yeah, it, did that answer your question? Yes, and I'm immediately going to stay with one point that you made. Mm. What happened in the Ukraine and in Albania mm. to make that move? Because that's what we're grappling with and mm. what we've been grappling with for 20 years. Yeah, I suppose one of the things that in Europe there is a the public broadcaster is, is a norm. It's funded in different ways. Some have moved from license fee to... Um, to direct funding from government. Personally, I prefer the license fee solution because there's a sense that it belongs to the people. And um, I suppose that the notion of there being an independent media um, is, is a sort of, is, a, is an ideal for European countries. And I think that that's something that countries aspire to, perhaps in some cases wanting to become closer to the countries of the European Union, where actually that would seem to be the norm. So there's that movement towards freer expression is being encouraged by European Union alignment as well. Kind of peer pressure from other mm. countries. Well, I'm not going to comment on individual situations, yeah. but there, there is a sense that the ideal is very visible. It's upheld by us, it's upheld by the Council of Europe, and strongly upheld by us and the Council of Europe. And therefore, there is an ideal towards which any country in transition might feel that they can aspire, and some other countries who, let's say, have moved away from that to some extent, can feel themselves criticised and indeed quite publicly criticised. So one of the points that Solly made earlier was around the fact that we have an inf a kind of framework which is pretty good, right? Mm. Um, and I mean, I was, would be interested just to have a quick overview again of how it works in Ghana because you have a different framework um, which involves, I think, an independent body which appoints, makes certain key appointments. Because governance, I mean, money is the one side of the, all of this, and the other side is, of course, mani uh, control, governance, let's call it that. Mm -hmm. Yes, and before the heads of the public broadcast and all other state-owned media, was appointment was done by the government. But um, as I said, we had had a period of um, coup d'etats and dictatorship and so on up until 1992. So in the run-up to the 1992, um, elections, there was the need to get a new constitution. So the civil society organizations and all political parties and all came together to draw up this new constitution. And the National Media Commission was put as part of it to be, uh, to insulate the state owned media from governmental control. So they now are the ones who appoint the heads of um, these um, public uh, media institutions. And they are usually made up of people from all walks of life, different institutions, civil society organizations. So whoever will be nominated to come may not necessarily be part of the ruling government. Unfortunately for us, since 1992, we have had four um, changeover of government smoothly without um, any 
confusion. And it has been either from one party to itself or from one party to another. Mm. So if the thing works, maybe when you're in power, you think you can um, manipulate it. The next time you're out, the person that is there now has, you know, is the same person who will be facing you, you know. For example, our boss, the GBC boss now, was appointed um, sometime last year when the NDC was in power. And as soon as he was appointed through the National Media Commission, of course, people believe that they can be manipulated. Everybody said he was an NDC person. Now NDC loses power. He's there, he's doing his work. Now they're saying he's for NPP. But he's doing the right thing. And when you have people criticizing you anytime, you don't you know, get to do or toe the line where they are, then you know you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. you know, because he's doing exactly what he was doing last um, year when he was accused of being NDC. Mm. He's continuing and now he's being accused of being NPP. So, <laughs> so do I understand you to Sounds say fun. that the, yeah, uh, the media co independent media commission only makes the key appointments? Yes, and also supervises what? What gets done? Yes. So they take regular reports. Do they approve a budget? No, the budget is approved by the State Enterprises Commission. Okay. To make it even more complicated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the government, yeah. you know, the budget goes through the, to the government through the State Enterprises Commission. But the National Media Commission is the oversight, has the oversight responsibility for content, mm. you know, and then the sector minister over how the finances are managed. Mm. Mm. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, what mm. you're seeing, I mean, it sounds a little bit like our Judicial Services Commission in the in this context of the courts, although mm. um, clearly there are also significant differences. I mean, what, what you have with these arrangements, I think, are attempts to balance power, checks don't you? And um, so that, you know, there are checks and balances. Um, so let's look forward now for a bit. Mm. And, and I will, uh, I mean, I want to just spend a few more minutes on this. And then if there are inputs or questions or comments from from the floor, I'm sure we, we have some time for that. So the interim SABC board is about two months away from the end of their term, as far as I know. Mm. Um, there is a permanent board. Let's discuss the agenda for the permanent board. What should they be doing? Angie. Okay, so I think the first thing is to sort out the money matters. So mm. five billion rands went missing in five years. Where did that money go? It, people need to be identified, they need to be criminally charged, and they need to pay back the money. Mm. Then we need to find a mechanism. I don't know much about money matters, but maybe the money should be put like in a trust or something, and somebody should manage it. We've got an interim board that doesn't have a person with financial expertise at the moment. Mm. So I think if I heard correctly, we, the communications department might be lending someone to us. I don't know about the money either, mm. which makes things complicated. So how do we get the funds, how do we secure the funds, and how do we have that fund, those funds properly managed? And then I would like to see, I think this is for the first time in a very long time that we've had a board, albeit five members and only interim, that seem to care. Mm. I would like to see them either have their life extended slightly or the best among those who have the interests of public broadcasting at heart, the true interests of public broadcasting incorporated into the new board. We need public hearings, and I think the time for having constituency representatives is over. We need the best people. Jackson and Tembo said yesterday we need people with the best brains. 
I think you need more than the best brains. You need people who understand and appreciate the true value of a public broadcaster. And then there are people there that shouldn't be there. We need to get rid of those tentacles. They're deeply embedded. And if we must go back a few more years, I, I think you, you can sort out some of the problems by appointing the right leadership. It's going to take a hell of a long time, but there needs to be an investigation as to who was appointed, how were they appointed, how did they come in, to what positions, promotions that happened, and people that were paid money that shouldn't have received money. So, those you, would be among my priorities. Don't you risk, I mean, if you go into a whole war crimes <laughs> direction, I mean, don't you risk causing further damage to an organization that's already incredibly hurt and damaged? How do you fix it? I'm asking. Yeah. So you're asking, yeah, yeah. you're asking the person who did the Truth Commission about war crimes. Yeah. I, I, I think we need to be brutally honest. It's short of imploding the two buildings in Auckland Park, and we have other buildings across the country. That's never going to happen. There's no money to pay retrenchments. There are people there who really shouldn't have been there in the first place. So what do we do? A re-education, a re-awareness, a reclaiming of the public space, the public broadcaster ownership, I don't know. Maybe people must just put up their hands and say, okay, I'll leave. You know, so, so it's been very interesting because I was having a discussion with, with a whole lot of independent producers. And I mean, independent producers are all, you know, on the receiving line because they are supposed to be paid by the SBC. And when the SBC goes into one of its regular crises, they are the first people that are not paid. And so there's, there's something really scary about that. And basically what they were saying is, you know, all we want is the CEO, the CFO, and the COO, which are the top management, the, the chief operating officers, chief, you know, all, all those three top management positions to be people that understand public broadcasting and have a seriously good financial sense and a seriously good sense of actually running a major public institution. And they were saying, you know, it's incredible if you could get those three posts right you're absolutely right on the side of the board, and I think you know I would agree with Angie that you want to take some of the interim board people and put it on the on the on the new uh, board, the new permanent board. But it's, it's it's those levels. I think then maybe there's a third thing, and it's the editorial policies, and it's very interesting because we've had a horrible situation where editorial policies were brought in, literally under the cover of darkness, and those new editorial policies basically said. We concentrate the power of editorial decision-making in the COO, which was Claudia Motsuning, and on top of that, we have mandatory upward referral. If there's anything even vaguely um, controversial, it must then be taken, the decisions must then be taken up the line, you know, at that high you know, COO level. So I think there's a lot of work to be done around the editorial policies. We need to blur it open. We need to make it transparent. We need to have a process like we had in 2004, which I have to say the SBC did a marvelous process where they went around the country, they got input on the editorial policies, um, and they were some of the best in the world, I think. You know, and so it's to, it's to reinvigorate that policy. And I think it would also bring a lot of people in from the outside to get excited again, thoughtful again about the SABC. By the way, I should just say that um, Matata Tedu, Deputy Chair of the Board, was due to be on the panel, but it was called to a meeting with the Minister today, so yeah. it's the nature of the beast. <laughs> so, Solly, you, give, you, you set out your stall for what the new Board should be doing. <coughs> uh, 
I like the idea of uh, selecting those people with qualifications or appointing people with the right qualifications, including the board itself, that should understand. I mm. However, as long as we are not going to address the issue of political interference, we are not mm. going to get this right. SABC right. And how do you do that? That's the question. How do you address that issue of political interference? Because it's just a phone call. It's not in documents. It's in the. It's in what happens. It is in under documents. The cover of dark and darkness. No, no, it is in documents. Okay, sorry, I interrupted something. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's not going. It's not an easy. Mm. However, if you look at our political developments, particularly in Parliament now, I think things are changing in such a way that uh, opposition is also having a say in the running of that. So you need to have a truly independent. A body to oversee the to oversee the running of the SABC. You need a board that can stand up there and say, you know what, we have just been called to do A, B, C, D. Because uh, I mean, just to name a few, there was a time when we had uh, Dr. Mapai, and that time we had to in the newsroom we had a person like Banim uh, Toboti, we had you know Zalakena. At that time we could see that you could actually be proud of the SABC. Later, we had a, a business-minded person in the form of Peter McClary. What happened to him? How was he removed? Again, it's politics. But if at all, you had, I mean, we had the ANC at the time, which had the two-third majority. But now, maybe, with this uh, uh, less control, then, I mean, uh, we, it was still democracy at the time. But if you look at it, actually, it was more like, uh, uh, and, 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 and my fear is that uh, if we do not allow the board, the next board, to be independent, to be in a position to work closely with qualified leadership at the SABC, then we're just going to have the uh, same one in new bottles. So, so it all depends on whether, let's be frank, the ANC is willing to appoint a board and leave them alone. So we're in their hands. That's all we can wait for. Okay? No, I mean, I think, I think they, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, that is the big picture story. But I think there are a couple of other things that you can do. And it's interesting. I mean, it was a very, it wasn't really covered very much, but there was a, um, just recently, literally in the last couple of weeks, the SOS coalition took um, the um, Broadcasting Act to court and ba basically said what we need, and it's, it's the appointment process. And basically what they were saying is that the minister should have no role over the appointments of the three top positions. Positions. And at the moment, the Broadcasting Act is actually uh, silent on who appoints the three execs. And what happens is then the memorandum of incorporation then allows the minister a huge role in terms of um, actually uh, appointing those people. Now, just for people to know, the CEO is also the editor-in-chief, or at least was in the last um, editorial policies. Um, so I think that is a key issue, to say that the minister may have no role in the appointment of those three execs, that the board must select. I think that is one thing that's important. One last thing to just sort of throw into the pot. Um, there is this very interesting thing about Chapter 9 institutions. And I mean, for our, you know, people who don't come from South Africa, like, what is a Chapter 9 institution? <laughs> so Chapter 9 institution is an institution which is protected by the Constitution and has more independence than, than, than other kind of state bodies. And so, for instance, it's our public protector, it's our Human Rights Commission, etc. And in fact, what civil society has been saying for a while now is that the SABC should be transformed into a Chapter 9 institution 
whose independence is actually safeguarded by the Constitution. And so you, you start, to, and, and so there's that, you know, issue. And the minister is then not the sole shareholder of the SABC, which gives her enormous powers over appointments, over finances. So I think there are some legal issues that we can get our teeth into. And if we manage to shift and change those things, I think it will actually assist. Yeah, I think that's a really useful point. I mean, the, you know, there are uncertainties between the different kind of bodies that have an interest. ICASA hasn't been mentioned. They mm -hmm. have a role in all of this, mm -hmm. the, you know, and all of these other things. So we can carry on here, but let me just ask whether there are points or questions that anybody wants to raise from the floor. No? Mm -hmm. Aha, I thought so. <laughs> um, Denzel, then Paul. Denzel? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to pick up on, on some of the issues, and I agree with a lot of stuff, and, and I tend to not agree with some stuff. Um, I just say to Solid that a weakened ANC is actually going to put more pressure on the broadcaster because you become more desperate, and you need to win, and so you start grabbing at everything that you could potentially control. So. The strength of the ANC actually was was better off because they comfort in their space and, and they kind of leave you alone mm. a little bit. Mm. So so I suggest that mm. I don't agree with that. I think placing an enormous emphasis on the board um, is not going to fix the internals. Um, yes, a great board and an independent board is, is what you want. Uh, you know, let the president point the board and, and let everybody get on with their work. Um, it's a political process from the start. So you, you start on the wrong footing anyway. So from that perspective, you, you should in, inevitably expect a little bit of trickle down, whatever happens. Um, yes, there was an SABC 8, and it's really unfortunate that we say SABC 8. What, what are the numbers of the SABC 4000, whatever countrywide? You know, we talk about the SABC 8. So, um, from where we also sit on, on the other side, and we look at the SABC and we, we sometimes disregard it for, for what actually happens internally. Because, yes, somebody can come into the SABC, but yes, the SABC has a voice too. You know, it's sad, and I'll just raise this one. It's sad to watch Saudi walk around the IEC building and 10 to 15 SABC people, journalists in themselves, just walking behind him as well. So this, one can buy into the argument, yes, Saudi and the tentacles and everything and whatever, but there was so much complicity. There was so much just going with the flow. So okay, let's get some... So let's, let's pick up on those two questions. I mean, firstly, how would it be communicated? Any real change? Um, let me bounce that at, at, at Solly. Um, and then, I mean, you raised the issue of complicity earlier. Um, maybe, maybe you can pick that up. Solly. 
<coughs> Listen, I mean, uh, communication with, 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 with the SABC is, uh, it shouldn't be much of a problem. I mean, uh, we, have, we broadcast in 11 official languages, including the two Sen languages, the Ku and Kwe. So it's a matter of just crafting those messages, or packaging those messages in such a way that uh, you do it. But, but the other thing that we need to do is we need to say what kind of messages are we communicating? Because if at all we are, go, we are going to have messages, some of them just being translated from English to that, then that's not going to happen. But we do have the capacity as the SABC to be in a position to, brought, I mean, to, 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 to disseminate those messages. And those messages I mean, can even be in the form of, because with, with social media now, people, you can inter easily inter interact with people for your listeners, for them to be in a position to ask questions and then uh, you clarify certain things and then you go into programs outside news and current affairs where you even have uh, discussions and nothing. And you can dedicate, I mean, a week where you say this is a national issue and we need to, to reach each and every person. I mean, it's clear it's going to be a really long road. You know, to reclaim that kind of credibility is not going to happen in a couple of months. It's going to take a really long time and yeah. a really long time of consistent work, I think. It's not just an ad campaign issue. But, I mean, Denzel's point, I think, is really important. Overemphasis on this issue of the board, board. right? Mm. What, because, you know, I know this also because I was in the building a couple of weeks ago. The atmosphere is broken, mm. you know? And there is the issue of complicity that you've raised and you've raised, right? Mm. Um, there is that issue, but it is also, you know, there's like a culture that has just never been allowed to establish itself, a culture mm. of public broadcasting. So what do you do? I, I, th I think um, something that keeps on coming to mind about some of the people in Cloudy as they were appointed, we all thought it was a, f sorry, we all thought it was a fat joke, and we laughed. Nobody stood up and said, you know what, actually that's wrong. And we tolerated and we tolerated and we mm. tolerated. And I think generally, including parliaments and society, we have been sleepwalking. We have been in a deep, deep slumber. And I can't say everyone, I, I am generalizing. And it's taken something for some of us to wake up. I have been recently told, she's not one of us. Thank God I'm not one of us because I don't know what that one of us is. But that's how people talk. There was a throwaway, line at, a throwaway line at one of our editorial meetings. I think it was yesterday when the ANC, or the previous day, the ANC Western Cape was calling on the policy conference at the ANC to downgrade South Africa's embassy in Israel. And the throwaway line from an editor who's been there a long time, who has managed to survive, is the Jews own South Africa. And I did a double take and I said, put the facts on the table. That's how we, that's how we fight it back, okay? But these are little examples. It's all of us need to be alert. It's not about the party. It's not about the person. We allow those and tolerate that. We've got to understand, in this case, what is the purpose, the raison d'etre for a public broadcaster? To whom does it belong? It belongs to everyone. And yes, you will have those that sheepishly will follow and will, no questions, but we're there, we're supporting, we're aiding and abetting, because there's become this culture that I will look after you. Do something for me, and when the time is right and right, I will do something for you. 
You heard last year about the sweetener. Promises of a sweetener were made. What kind of language is that? So we often, we laugh. We laugh it off and then the bad joke is on all of us. Okay, we, we're going to need to begin to wrap. Um, are there any other inputs from the floor? Thoughts? I'll take... Yeah, Tukazani? Yeah, let me just see. Anyone else? Okay, and Tukazani and then... Um, Denzel, okay, yeah? I just want to ask from the panel whether mm -hmm. they see a need of developing uh, for the parliament, of course, to develop the broadcasting act. Because mm -hmm. we see more journalists and radio journalists and other journalists and other uh, media platforms being victimized for uh, uh, giving the, 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 the society corruption happening in the public institution like ESCOM. We know Zilega Zodo is a writer, uh, a newspaper uh, journalist but it's been victimized for talking mm. uh, about the corruption at ESCO. But uh, it's not only happening in newspapers, it's also happening in radio, whereby we do not uh, continue perpetuating the propaganda, you get fired, you're being victimized mm. uh, for, for, for talking against corruption. Mm. Can we develop the Broadcasting Act to protect journalists against that? Okay, I think you wanted to, mm. I mean, I'm glad you raised the issue of safety because I think it's mm. important. Denzel, a quick question. How do, you, how do you, in a situation that's arisen now, address the issue of self-censorship mm. because there's, an ex there's a broken crowd and you expect to write your stuff in this way and now you've got to correct that. And how do you also fix the overcorrect so now you've been to the worst, and suddenly your board of six or five gives you a voice again, and you begin to create that again. How do you prevent an overcorrection so that you don't go to the extreme of the other? Okay. Kate, you want to say something about safety? Yeah. So, I mean, I thought, so again, I mean, it's so interesting what you were saying about, about you know, kind of the culture within the SABC. And, I mean, I was doing an interview like two days ago, and um, I was talking to the journalists at, at the SABC, and, and they were just saying, you know what, we, we feel intimidated. We actually feel anxious. We, a lot of us are independent contractors, and if we, if we put out, you know, quite feisty kind of, you know, fierce sort of journalism, I mean, what happens to us? We could quite easily be fired. And it, it just, you know, it really made me think, and it wasn't, you know, and various people were saying this, we need a way to protect journalists. This is what you're talking about in terms of the, the self-censorship. Journalists need to feel safe. They need to feel that there's somewhere where they can go. And we actually need to look at the nuts and bolts of that. Now, I'm just going to throw out a few ideas about that. I mean, for instance, there should be a legal clinic. There should literally be a place which journalists can go to if they're feeling intimidated or they're not sure you know, what their rights are in terms of editorial issues that they can go to. Um, I mean, maybe a journalist union. I mean, we have had various journalist unions in the past, and they've kind of sort of collapsed. But we, we should be looking at things like that. But it's, it's, for me, the crux of it is journalists feeling safe and journalists feeling protected and having a place to go. Um, and then that allowing then the space to, to do that feisty journalism. Okay. Could, could I just add that I think mm. one of the... One of the things actually then mm. to sort of pick up from a situation like that, which, you know, might be in a way analogous to what I experienced at the BBC um, in the wake of the um, 
second um, Iraq war mm. was um, was really about leadership and saying, okay, we must carry on. And I, we must carry on. We must be honest. We must research our stories well. Mm. We, but at the same time, we mustn't be cowed. We must actually be bold. And we have these values as an organization. We must actually embody them. And I think that came through a sense of clear leadership which actually was saying mm. all the time that that's, that's the sort of organization we are, that's what we believe in, that's what our values are. Mm. A difficult period, but nonetheless one where I think, you know, the, it, it, there was, a, there was a, a, a turnaround, let's say, as a result actually of, mm. of clear leadership by quite a number of senior people across the organization. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that the answer to the difficulty is not to remove everything, it's to replace it with healthy frameworks and reference points and guidelines. Yeah, I was going to add that the, that the issue of editorial policy and being faithful to it, so that when you are in trouble, your boss can come to your rescue because this is what they ask you to do. And then what I want to also say is that one of the veteran broadcasters in Ghana, Nana Silpikundia, told us, he always says it, that uh, when it comes to management of broadcasting, people think that is just like any business or any organization, but it's not true. It's, it's good to have management training, and it's good to have uh, the technical training of broadcasting. But you need a very good mix of the two to be able to lead. So it's always good when somebody who's been in, in the industry for a long time is also trained to become the leader. When we have such people in position, you, you never get it wrong. Okay. Thank you very much. Just in, in concluding, can I ask you why this is going to be different? We've had attempts and attempts and attempts. Mm. And why will this be different? Isn't it just time to give up and try something different? don't know what that would be. <laughs> but just, you know what I mean? It's been 20 whatever it is years. Um, Sully's going to respond. Okay. Just in a nutshell, <clears throat> France, and uh, I think I think one of the the elements that will influence this change and this change will be more effective is that first you you're going to appoint people with the relevant skills. You hope. I hope so. I hope, and I, I'm confident. I mean, with this board, which is to me, uh, with I mean, the three months that I have spent, have shown that kind of willingness to really change things, to even correct uh, those mistakes of the past. But secondly, we need to say we are not going to have a person in, uh, in the newsroom because he's related to a certain politician. You know, and this person is just there to come and make sure that uh, you know, uh, programs or uh, ideas of a certain political party are just driven into that. Now, you need to have journalists who will come there independent. But at the same time, the SABC must do something about uh, the current structures, editors and all that. We need to take those people through some form of uh, a, a workshop so that people must have that. I mean, Denzel is talking about self-censorship. Uh, to me, it's more about fear. People are still not sure whether Saudi is gone out of the building or not. You know? So that, that, is, that, is, that is reality. So we need to say, people, what is an independent? We need to go back to those definitions to say, what is an independent? I mean, Suna, sorry, has, I mean, has sold rest in peace. 
she was attacked right at her home. You know, and the, the, I mean, and that's something that people are saying, are the tentacles, how these tentacles still in that building? If we do this, what will happen? So this board must say, let's sit down, management, let's change the mindset and see how we can do things right. Okay, very briefly, Angie, mm -hmm. what's going to be different this time? I'm hoping that enough people have woken up and that everyone realizes why we need a public broadcaster, why it matters. Um, we can't do it on our own. We've been doing it for a long time. I, in a few days' time, I will have been there for 25 years. Some people think I'm mad. I don't know. I know why I signed up, and I know why I stay. Um, I still care. I still love public broadcasting. I still think it matters. Um, we could be doing a lot better, greater stuff. But I think there's been an awakening, and it's for all of us to take more care, more interest. It's your money. People died for it, people were tortured for it, people fought for it, have given their everything to it. Um, and what are, we, what are we doing now with it? And then to quote the Iroquois, the Native Americans, what are we leaving for the next generation? I hope we're leaving something. Okay, Kate, yeah. what's different? Okay, so, so the, I mean, I think this, the seriousness of the situation is different. I mean, I think sooner. Sort of fainter. I mean, I mean, she died. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just a kind of for me. It's a complete game changer. It's like, oh gosh, you know, that that is just a terrible situation. So, but but the one thing that I do think is that we have to move quickly. I think there's a there's a there's a space opening up. There's a horror around what has happened to certain SBC journalists. But I think we just cannot afford to be complacent. So if we are prepared to push the legal cases, if we're prepared to put things in place to safeguard journalists, if we're prepared to ensure that this new board is in fact a good board, if we're vigilant, I think basically if we are vigilant, we have a chance. If we go back to sleep, we will be talking about these issues again and again and again and again. Okay. Nana, I'm not going to ask you that direct question, but maybe you have some final comments. Yeah, I, I was just going to add that, uh, especially on the question of the self-censorship, once the correct people have been appointed and the editorial policies and all the, the guidelines for working there have been made public and everybody's aware, the next thing is continuous um, education and uh, re-education and seminars and so on to get people to remember why they are there and what they are going to do uh, so that they will not be afraid of, um, a, I won't say this, to get into trouble, you know, so that uh, people would then be fired up again to do what they came there to do. Okay, Graham? Mm. Um, I, I, of course, mm. I can't comment on the, um, on the specific situation in any detail, but I would have thought that the sense of publicly proclaiming what the values are is incredibly important. And those are going to be words like transparency, um, accountability, public accountability, independence, universality, being there for the whole population, diversity, seeking to meet individual needs. And of course, those, um, those type of words operating in that space is obviously what public service broadcasting is there to do. Um, unlike commercial broadcasting, and I work very closely with commercial broadcasters as well, but there is a special role for public broadcasters, which is about actually not defining segments that can actually be lucrative 
or with whom you want a commercial relationship, but simply saying, at best, we're here for the whole society, we're here to serve society, we're here to develop people, um, develop um, the society, and actually really being dedicated to that and only to that is something that is really specifically done by public broadcasters and actually embodied in those values. Okay, thank you very much. I mean, the discussion has kind of run over a little bit, but inevitably it is that, and it is obviously a discussion that didn't start today and it's not mm -hmm. going to end today. I want to thank the panelists. I mean, there have been some really interesting themes, I think, that have come out. The issue of money is really important, mm -hmm. um, the way in which it has been spent and the need to actually kind of spend it better. Um, the issue of governance, the framework issues, the policy issues. And I think that the hardest of all, I think, is this issue of culture, the issue of, mm -hmm. you know, sending the signal to everyone, externally and internally, that actually and in reality, there is a new regime in regime in the broader sense, um, which will have different expectations of the public broadcaster. I mean, I do think that we have to take seriously that the, the fact that, you know, we've tried a lot of times to get this right and we haven't managed as South Africans. Um, and it needs real thought to make sure, hopefully, that this time um, will work. Because I picked that up when I was in the building the other day. There is a sense We've been here. We've had workshops. We've been told this, you know. <laughs> it's fine. We'll survive this and we'll survive the rest. We'll keep our head down. And that's actually an incredibly damaging thing because it's the self-censorship that Denzel talks, that sort of passivity. Um, so, you know, remaking an institution that is as broken as this one is not a small thing. Um, and it is going to take time. But I want to thank you. Let's do lunch. Um, and we'll pick up again, I think it'll be around quarter past two. Um, but thank you very much.